0: Hello, and welcome to today's podcast. My name is John Saran, and I'm a counsel in Robes and Gray's Healthcare Practice Group. My practice focuses on advising healthcare companies and private equity investors on mergers and acquisitions of public offerings. With me here today are Debbie Gersh and Tim McChrystal, co-chairs of Robes and Gray's Healthcare Practice Group. Debbie and Tim, the Biden administration has made a focal point of its agenda to expand Americans' access to quality, affordable healthcare, and to reduce healthcare costs. Hadn't this been a focus of prior administrations as well? After all, President Trump's stated vision for healthcare was to provide Americans with more choice, better care, and lower costs. But before President Trump, President Obama signed the Affordable Care Act into law, which among other things, established a new agency, CMMI. It had a specific mission of improving patient care and lower costs through development of alternative healthcare care payments and service delivery models. Tim, so what's new with respect to President Biden's efforts?
1: John, you're right. Improving care, including access to care, and lowering costs is a consistent priority for the federal government, and in fact, enjoys bipartisan support. There are two things, however, that are noticeably different this time. First, we are seeing a more aggressive regulatory and enforcement stance regarding market access and competition. This is also reflected in an increased alignment and cooperation among federal agencies with respect to enforcement. Second, states are also taking aggressive action, including implementing new laws and regulations, and often creating new agencies, seeking to address cost, access, and competition issues. The idea is that creating a marketplace more conducive to competition will result in more affordable healthcare, higher quality services, and better access to essential services for patients. These developments are important, not just for their impact on deal-making and ongoing compliance, but because they can create tension with acquisitions, consolidation, in efforts to build integrated delivery systems to address the shift towards value-based care payment models. Since the enactment of the ACA, a major focus of this and past administrations has been combating rapidly rising care costs by pushing towards the adoption of value-based care payment models. Value-based arrangements can take many forms, capitation, bundle payments, gain and loss sharing, et cetera, but a main element consists of linking reimbursement to both financial and quality targets instead of reimbursing providers for each service. So on the one hand, federal and state lawmakers are trying to control costs by pushing healthcare providers to take more risk and manage the continuum of care for large populations with the consequence, intended or not, of pushing the industry towards consolidation and integrated delivery systems. On the other hand, we see new regulations that may hinder acquisition activity These two policies seem at odds with each other and are creating challenges for healthcare providers, payers, and investors from both a strategy and compliance perspective.
0: So, Tim, are you saying that there's a link between the push towards value-based care and market consolidation?
1: Yes. The transition from volume to value-based care and the corresponding move to population health management requires major capital investments and sophisticated management expertise. Providers can address certain of the challenges posed by value-based risk arrangements, particularly lack of resources and unpredictability of revenue streams, by consolidating and benefiting from economies of scale. Increased M&A activity is a natural consequence of this shift as providers consolidate to achieve efficiencies and build scale to manage population health.
0: But hasn't market competition, though, been a focus for a while? I think that states have long embraced the idea that creating a marketplace more conducive to competition will make healthcare more accessible and affordable for patients. I think that as many as 15 states have repealed certificate of need laws in an effort to promote competition. In addition, some states have begun to implement legislation banning anti-competitive contract terms including gag clauses so prohibitions on the release of negotiated payment amounts, most favored nation clauses that would mean prohibitions on providers from offering services to other payers at lower prices, and anti-tiering and anti-steering clauses, such as prohibitions on activities that can encourage a patient to seek care from another healthcare provider, including putting the provider into a less favorable tier that requires higher patient cost share. So what are the new developments in this area?
2: John, you are correct. Market competition has been addressed before by federal and state regulators. What's new, however, is how aggressively federal and state regulators are now pursuing this objective and the significant new burdens imposed on healthcare entities and investors with respect to transactions and compliance. The other novel element is that all agencies, not just CMS, are now issuing regulations purporting to promote competition and the interagency cooperation that is starting to coalesce around enforcement. As part of its overall strategy to reduce costs, last year, the Biden administration issued an executive order that was titled Promoting Competition in the American Economy. And that order instructed all federal agencies to issue policies that promote competition. So what we've seen is various agencies from CMS to the Department of Treasury coming out with statements about how they are going to help promote competition. Take, for instance, the U.S. Federal Trade Commission's proposed rule published in January on non-compete clauses. If finally issued, the rule would prohibit post-employment non-compete clauses in agreements between employers and their employees or other workers, and would even void those clauses in existing agreements. If passed, this rule would have a far-reaching impact on business and HR practices in the healthcare industry. If you missed it, I would encourage you to read our recent article on this topic. Another good example is CMS's recent rulemaking addressing competition and transparency in healthcare. This past summer, CMS released a Request for Information or what we commonly refer to as an RFI, that it said was related to enhancing competition and transparency in the healthcare system. Through the RFI, CMS asked interested third parties for feedback on how it could use ownership data it has been collecting on mergers, acquisitions, and changes of ownership relating to nursing homes and hospitals enrolled in Medicare in order to, quote, promote competition. It also asked whether releasing this ownership data for other types of healthcare providers could help further that goal. CMS has recently expanded the entities on which it publishes ownership information. In an April 2023 notice, HHS stated that it will release ownership data of all Medicare certified hospice and home health agencies to benefit researchers, enforcement agencies, and the public. CMS also recently issued a rulemaking proposal to make all Medicare certified entities provide more detailed information about their ownership status in a form required for Medicare participation. Also, at the end of last year, the Justice Department's Antitrust Division and the Department of Health and Human Services Office announced that the two enforcement agencies will increase their efforts. To collaborate in connection with investigations of healthcare providers. Even more significant, DOJ indicated that it would use as one of its remedies the exclusion of healthcare providers from federal healthcare programs that historically has typically been used only by the OIG and is often the equivalent of what we call a death sentence for providers. And more recently, the Department of Justice has withdrawn longstanding policy statements regarding antitrust and healthcare providers.
0: In your opinion, Debbie, what is the significance of CMS making ownership data public? Isn't this data already public anyway?
2: John, you're correct. That information is often public, but piecing it together can be difficult, especially for smaller transactions. Making this information readily available to the public could help the public and healthcare stakeholders better understand and appreciate the impact of both consolidation and mergers and acquisitions in the healthcare industry.
0: Aren't large transactions already subject to review by federal antitrust authorities? So in essence, the release of this information could potentially have a greater impact on smaller transactions. In your opinion, Tim, what is promoting this new scrutiny on smaller deals?
1: John, that's a good point. Typically, many healthcare providers have grown through serial acquisitions. This type of incremental growth is hard for antitrust agencies to detect. So empowering stakeholders to flag this type of acquisition would allow regulators to investigate transactions that may have otherwise flown under the radar. One target of federal and state legislators appears to be private equity investments in the healthcare sector. Private equity companies' acquisition strategies usually involve the acquisition of multiple smaller companies to create a single, large player. Both the FTC and the DOJ have expressed concerns regarding private equity's use of these so-called roll-up transactions. The DOJ is concerned that roll-ups can substantially lessen competition and potentially lead to a monopoly. Private equity firms with healthcare investments should be aware that antitrust enforcement agencies may review their portfolio board appointments and transactions regardless of whether they make a filing pursuant to the HSR Act. For example, the state of California has, on several occasions, considered legislation expanding state approval requirements for private equity and hedge fund acquisitions of healthcare entities. The newly created Oregon's Health Authority in one of its transaction reviews acknowledged concerns about the negative impact of private equity investments in the healthcare industry.
0: You mentioned California and Oregon. So let's talk about states. What should healthcare providers, payers, and investors be aware of?
2: John, healthcare access, cost, and quality are under profound consideration in state legislatures across the country. The West Coast states, in particular California, Oregon, and Washington, have become a hotbed of active legislation. In addition, since 2020, Illinois, Maine, Minnesota, and North Carolina have legislation yet to be passed regarding healthcare consolidation. The idea of states regulating healthcare costs and competition is not a new one, and a number of states have in fact established oversight commissions to review the impact of market consolidation, or to keep an eye on healthcare prices, including, for instance, the Health Commission in Delaware, the Health Policy Commission in Massachusetts, and the Healthcare Cost Containment Council in Pennsylvania, just to name a few. Also, Connecticut, Massachusetts, and Nevada actively monitor healthcare access, cost, and quality concerns. Our second podcast in this series will discuss new legislation in West Coast states and its impact on transactions in more detail, but let me just give you some general highlights. And these are some important developments to consider and include. Connecticut, Massachusetts, Nevada, Oregon, and Washington have established notice and or approval requirements intended to catch deals that might have otherwise escaped review and provide a way for state regulators to force public disclosure and potentially to delay or prevent a deal from closing. California has similar requirements that will go into effect in 2024. State attorneys generals are also taking a closer look at healthcare deals in terms of competition, but are also increasingly assessing the cost and access considerations of M&A and contracting affiliations. In sum, any stakeholder interested in investing in healthcare providers or health plans should be prepared for lengthier licensing approval processes that can include up-the-chain reviews. As I mentioned earlier, our second podcast will cover in detail the specific provisions of the California, Oregon, and Washington laws, and we'll discuss their impact on transactions and possible mitigation strategies. So be sure to tune in.
0: Tim and Debbie, I really appreciated our time today, and if those listening would like more information on this topic or or from our healthcare group, please don't hesitate to contact either one of us or visit our website. This podcast is the first in a series discussing recent developments and trends in healthcare access, quality, and cost. Our next podcast will address new state laws enacted by several West Coast states and their impact on deal making and compliance. You can also subscribe to listen to other Ropes and Gray podcasts wherever you regularly listen to your podcasts, including on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Thanks again for listening.